Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. We are called to love, but in this broken world, it can be hard to love those around us. Listen in as Doug and Kathy discuss how to hand our heart to God and walk out love. If we can pray for you as you seek God's will, just email your request to prayer at somebodycares.org. We would be honored to lift you up in prayer. After the episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit awardinseasonpodcast.org to download a free 30-day devotional that will encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. We have a special guest today, Kathy Branzell, the president of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and share with us a little bit about what National Day of Prayer is, how you got involved, and your journey to become the president of the NDP. That is a long story that I will keep very brief, but it, it was just paved by the Lord. I hope our audience knows about the National Day of Prayer, but you would be surprised how many people say, oh, is that that breakfast in February? Oh, my kid does that around the flagpole. And so I want to make sure that first and foremost, people know that the National Day of Prayer by law, a lot of people don't know it's a law. The president must by law call a day of prayer on the first Thursday of May for the nation to pray for America. And so we are so grateful. And I get to be the president of the task force that from its inception really uh, has stewarded and steered the National Day of Prayer, where the National Day of Prayer Task Force consists of tens of thousands of coordinators who, yes, on the National Day of Prayer, host tens of thousands of gatherings in America, across America, but we're also mobilizing Unified Public Prayer for America every single day. We are a part of the prayer movement in America. I've been a part of this for 22 years in wow. one way or another. So, uh, so grateful for that. Had a deep relationship with Vonette Bright and got to spend a lot of time with her, who has been a part of National Day of Prayer since the 70s, even maybe even before that. And then, of course, Miss Shirley Dobson, who held this position for 25 wonderful years, served Anne Graham Lotz, uh, got to serve with her the year that she was our interim for a year, and then Dr. Ronnie Floyd. And I just like to be the helper. I just uh, love to pray, to love people, and to share the gospel. And so I was as surprised as anyone I took the board asking me three times <laughs> before I was reprimanded by Dick Eastman. He said, Kathy, have you prayed about this? And I don't mean, have you been praying, Lord, send them a different name. So after fasting and praying after the third time, the Lord made it clear this is what I was supposed to be doing. So I'm grateful for three years now. I've been the president of NDP. Well, you know, it's amazing because initially those who are getting acquainted with NDP do think of it as a national day of prayer, the first Thursday of May each year, but yet it's so much more. It's things going on every day, updates coming out, prayer points coming out. There's so many things involved that it's not about a day, although that is the day that we are by law called to pray for our nation, but you are really calling us to pray every day for the concerns of our nation. So long before you took over as president of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, you have also been one who's been very, very integrated into the prayer movement across our nation and around the world. But you also have a passion in your heart, not just to pray, but to see the tangibility of Christ being expressed across the nation. So 
when we were at Mission America, and I know you're still connected, of course, there's a new name for Mission America now, but you had taken on things like Love 2020 and other things that we were involved in, but you've always had a passion. And that's where I really have resonated with you because uh, the passion of our ministry has always been about prayer with presence that moves us into doing something that brings transformation into our communities and people's lives. And I've been a part of you. Tell us a little bit about your journey. What gave you this passion to also see the expressions of Christ lived out in very tangible ways and with compassion ministry? I think it's understanding that prayer is a conversation, that I don't go running into heaven every single day and handing God his to-do list on how he could make me happy that day and go running out through listening prayer, through understanding that we get to come into the throne room of heaven and we ask for direction and we ask for help making a decision and we call him the author of our days. Therefore, I need to sit in his presence. And in this conversation, Ian Bounds says that prayer cast our faith on God and God on the world. Then as we sit still, God projects us back into the world to serve to glorify him as the author of our days. That's why we exist. And so every morning we get up and say, Lord, how do I get to participate in your glory story today? We want the world to know that yes, no prayer, no power. We don't want to run in and steal somebody else's blessing. We don't want to come in and hijack where God was working in somebody's life to make them desperate for him. And we come to the rescue, you know, as some false savior. At the same time, I never, ever want to miss an opportunity for the world to see the love of Jesus Christ being worked out in my life. I am far from perfect, but I tell people all the time, we are imperfect people being perfected by a perfect God. And sometimes you get to watch that in our actions, in our reactions of love, tangible love to the least of these, to our neighbors every single day. You are believing for the next generation to be filled with the Holy Spirit and passionate about prayer. And that really capsulizes a lot of what gives you the passion and drives you to be able to every day say, this is not about a job. It's about a privilege of a calling by God to see the church move that way. You are also a generational person. You, you really love the generation. So it's not just about those of us from a previous generation. You really want to see the bridging of the generations filled with the Holy Spirit, moving by the power of the Holy Spirit, and literally being a tangible expression of Christ to our generation. How did you come to the revelation of Christ in your life that catapulted you into this mission and this passion of, of your heart? It's been a journey, but I want to start by saying I was born into a Christian home. I was born to Christian parents. And so many people go, oh, you don't have a testimony. And you're like, are you kidding? That's that is the, the greatest testimony. testimony. Yeah. And as we pray through the day, I pray every day. I have uh, just a simple band that belonged to my grandmother. And every single day, I thank God for my Christian heritage, that my great-grandparents loved and served the Lord, that my grandparents, that my parents loved and served the Lord. Again, that doesn't make us perfect. We've got many stories, but I was even, if any of you know Glenn Shepherd, he happened to be the interim pastor at my parents' church when I was born. And so uh, there's part of my heritage right there. And we didn't know that until just a few years ago that he was the pastor who dedicated me to the Lord wow. uh, as an infant. And so I am grateful for that. But my faith really became mine in college because my journey was that I knew from the age of three what I wanted to be when I grew up. No wavering. I was going to be an SR-71 pilot. Yeah. I was going to be one of the first female pilots in the military. And I was going to fly above the radar. I was going to fly outside the atmosphere and I was going to gather intelligence. I was going to serve my country. 
and I was going to thwart the enemy. I was flying before I was driving. And every decision I made, every test I studied for, every boy I dumped because he was getting too serious, every good decision I made throughout junior high and high school was all to keep my nose clean so I could get to the Air Force Academy and that I could go fly. In college, as I was on the fast track to this, we found out I was night blind you can't fly. I went to do my astronaut's physical. I had passed many of flight physicals before. I wasn't hiding it. I thought everybody had trouble seeing at night. And in one sweeping moment, 15 years of knowing who I was going to be and what I was going to do came to a crashing halt on a college campus. And that's devastating and dangerous because the enemy's like, oh, now's my chance. In this wandering and devastation of a loss of dreams, my faith in a journey became my own as I realized that I had decided years ago what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just asked the Lord to come along. He had a different plan. And through this long journey of my adult life, here I am. And someone said to me in Sunday school not too long ago, wow, Kathy, as we were talking about what we wanted to be when we grew up, they said, the Lord just wanted you to serve kingdom, not country. And you are out there fighting the enemy and the heavenlies above the atmosphere every day. And I had never thought of it that way. So the years the locusts ate, I'm so grateful. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking, that in uh, reality, you are doing those things. You're taking intelligence above the atmosphere. That's right. And you are thwarting the, the intent of the enemy. It's amazing how in the spiritual context, you walked right into those things and I'm thinking about my father, who was an underwater demolition frogman during the Korean War, and then they became known as the Navy SEALs when uh, during the Vietnam War. He was part of the crossover. I can't even really tread water. And here my dad was a Navy subject, you know, could uh, literally swim like a fish. And yet many of the, the things that drive me is this idea of being on the edge. You know, I want to be on the edge. I want to make sure I'm helping those who are in the valley of decision find that place of rescue and help in their own lives. In some ways, the spiritual context, I've stepped into that, even though mm-hmm. I was never a Navy SEAL. But it's interesting how God did that for you, your dreams for all those things in the Air Force. But yet at the same time, you're doing that in a spiritual context And we're thankful that you are. And I just add to what I realized, because my dad flew AC-130 gunships, my dad, uh, and then was in counterterrorism. So I was busy trying to be like my earthly father, who's an amazing godly man. But I was so busy trying to be daddy's girl that it was distracting me from being the father's girl. And so grateful for that, that lesson as well. Years and years ago, I think in the eighties, I was a guest on the 700 club. The person that was interviewing me that day was Sheila Walsh when she was at the 700 club. And we were just talking, talking about my testimony. And and she goes, you know, you went looking for your biological father, your earthly father in Houston. Really, it was your heavenly father looking for you. That twist, I'm thinking that's so true. I was looking for my father who had left when I was a young boy in Houston when he retired from the military. And yet it was at that process that my heavenly father found me. And as a result, I had the pleasure of helping guide and direct my biological father, my stepfather and my mother to the Lord in that journey. And they're all in Mm -hmm. heaven now, but you know, God has a greater purpose than we can ever imagine in what we're going through, even in life situations, because there are, there are defining moments, aren't there? Are there some defining moments in your life? I know that you're still serving with the Table Coalition, which was once called Mission America, that I've also served with. But what is 
some defining moments that catapulted you into the trajectory that you're in now that drives you with passion every day to help lead us into this place of pushing back the works. You know, people see the daily news, they see all the, the turmoil, the, their hearts are overwhelmed with anxiety. And yet there are so many seeing the goodness of God in the midst of it all. And that is some, one of the things we get to see in the contending in the heavenlies. At the same time, we see the goodness of God even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. What are some defining moments for you? I'm grateful that you and I have been friends for so long that you prayed me through brain cancer, that I fought 14 and a half years of a brain tumor and it would go into remission. It would never go away, but then it would grow back. And every time it was different, you know, for 18 months, I didn't have a short-term memory when we first moved to Colorado and just to trust God through all of that. And then Um, My miraculous healing in 2008, just as we had reached the end of the journey and there was nothing more the doctors could do. And in September, you know, at every home for Christ, receiving that miraculous healing there as God was like, okay, we're done with this. You've reached the finish line, but not the one that everybody's telling you you finished. In October, a year later, just 13 months later, my son being diagnosed with blood cancer. You know, I'm sorry to say that my first response to God was, oh, just give me mine back. Mm. And he said, that's not how I work. But my 16-year-old son's first response to his doctor when told was, well, either way I win. You know, my son, my 16-year-old son had a more faithful response in his diagnosis than I did. He knew from my 14-year journey that this was an opportunity to glorify God. And we were going to get to, in his words, you know, go to the infusion room every single Friday for a year. We were going to get to go to the lab. We were going to get to go to radiology. We were going to get to practically live at Children's Hospital Denver. And that that was going to be an opportunity all the time to glorify God. And all this mama could think about was preserving her child. Um, Really just handing everything and everyone over to the father. And then probably the greatest lesson of my life that I've probably been quoted for saying the most is you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And that is to look at every human being as an image bearer, carrying the purpose of God fearfully and wonderfully made that have a deep story, that have deep roots, uh, Colossians 2.7, they're deeply rooted and being built up in him, established in their faith, and uh, as instructed, overflowing with gratitude. And so to look at everybody and know, I don't know the whole story, but I do know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to love them. Kathy, we're so glad that the Lord has intervened. And I love what your son said, that either way he wins. And I know Uh, And thank you for praying me through my family, Lisa and I, when I went through my B-cell lymphoma cancer in 2015. And uh, I know it was the prayer of the saints that kept us by the grace of God to be able to continue to even travel and do what we did and continue to pray, continue to minister and so on. There's a lot of people, uh, even in leadership, we have a vacuum of leadership today. As you know, Dr. Robert Clinton at Fuller Theological wrote about this many years ago, that 70% Christian leaders historically do not finish the race well. Mm. Uh, And there's various factors, you know, people tend to look at, well, moral failure, they become discouraged, whatever it may be. But ultimately, we realize no leader sets out to fail. No leader says, I can't wait to get into leadership and fail, (laughs) right? But there are factors involved. I mean, if it's ego, pride, if it's whatever it might be, but ultimately, I think discouragement is a powerful drug. 
Yes. And if we lose sight of our vision and God's promises, it's easy to then acquiesce to the circumstances around us. And the obstacles then become a blockade rather than opportunities for God to, to show himself greater. Right. There are many people who've met unexpected detours in their lives, as you've shared one that you've gone through and, and others, or actually a few that we've talked about, and how you overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. So how do we encourage, because you interface with leaders every day, at every level, and, and what I appreciate about you is the element of humility that even though you're interfacing with some great leaders in the body of Christ, Angram Lotz, Ronnie Floyd, Shirley Dobbs, so many, many others, uh, mutual friends who've gone to be with the Lord, like Bishop Harry Jackson and, and others. But in doing that, you've kept the element of humility of recognizing it's not about celebrity. It's about staying focused on what God's called us to do. And one of the things you said is that maybe we'll talk less about Washington and more about the whole nation and all the prayers being lifted up. We need them. Yes. And so it's really about the church taking its right posture so that we can see the soul of our nation healed in many, many ways. And we need it desperately. How do you encourage other leaders that you interface with and those who call upon you or look to you, for example, to maneuver through those unexpected detours and hold on to their faith and not become the 70%, but become increase the percentage of the 30% that do finish the race well. It's really important for all of us to remember that Jesus never, ever, ever sent a disciple out alone. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, yes, that was true for uh, bringing woman, uh, but uh, the fact was Adam didn't have a buddy either. There was no Aaron and her at that time, you know, for him. And Jesus never said, hey, Peter, just go take care of that yourself. They were always sent out in twos or more. And so everybody must have intercessors. You need an intercessory team, no matter what your assignment is and no matter what your season is, even at a time when I was just a mom to some people, I was raising up children who were, uh, you know, going to were my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. Really, you always need to have an intercessory team. You need to have faith-filled people who will pray the word of God, not their opinions, not their preferences, not manipulation. They will pray the word of God over you every single day. The second thing is you need to build your team and keep building the team. The National Day of Prayer Task Force is an amazing group of men and women that I am so thankful that I get to serve with them every day. Our coordinators, our staff, we have younger and older brothers and sisters in Christ on the staff. And I'm thankful for that, but always keep growing because as a branch, if a branch stunts its growth, if it quits growing, then it's ready to be pruned. And so make sure that you're always on the lookout for who is God knitting into your life as a partner as a part of your team, as a new friend, as an accountability partner. And then and my accountability partner, when he watches this, is going to laugh. But I am going to say, you have to have times of rest. And everybody who steps into positions of new leadership understands that there's a time of getting your legs under you. And there is a time of running and less resting. But you, first of all, uh, of course, rest in the Lord. But there has to be because I think that a lot of the, the failures, so to speak, um, happen in moments of frustration and weariness. Those are my enemies. If uh, not being hangry, because food's not my thing. But if I'm tired and I'm frustrated, 
oh boy, it's time for me to get on my knees. And I think that, no, I know that leadership is a lonely place and Satan is more than happy to slither in and come keep you company when you isolate yourself. And so you must, just as Jesus did, if the son of God on earth had a circle of trusted friends, it was a small circle, but if the son of man needed a small circle of friends, so do we. And you've got to be able to have somebody you can be fully transparent with that you can fully trust and that will pray for you in those times because the saying it's lonely at the top is not just a saying leadership is a very lonely place so don't let it be well you said quite a bit in that that really brings back to memory some things and i'm always saying that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get some rest absolutely obviously it's not just a good saying it's what jesus did he would go off by himself between the father but i think so many times we are driven by what we do rather than resting in who we are in the Lord and knowing that he does battle for us. I'm reminded of Second Chronicles 20, where Jehoshaphat, in the middle of this most crazy situation against the enemy, overwhelming circumstances, and yet the Lord had to speak to him and says, look, if you take the right posture, he said, I'll do the battle for you. That's right. And Jehoshaphat put his face towards the ground in a humble posture, his heart in worship towards heaven, and in praise, all of Judea followed him in praise and Judah followed him in praise. And we saw God give victory. And I think that so many times we tend to think we have to make it happen rather than letting God do the battle for us. And I was thinking about, as you were sharing about even Cesar Castellanos, when he started the G12 model in Bogota, Colombia, he was at that discouraged, tired, weary place and went to the beach with his family. Mm. While he was sitting on the beach is where he gets this download about the G12 model and where you have groups of 12 and then grew to, at that time, one of the largest churches in the country or in the world because of the idea of small groups in a larger context. And and we've seen different pieces of that in churches all across the country and around the world now. But in that, when you say leadership is lonely, that's something people don't understand. And I've always believed that it's the hidden place where tears are wept for those that we are helping to steward or guide or or direct and lead that God's entrusted to us. That's a very lonely place because no one will ever know what it's really like. I have grace for even those who have become burnt out or failed and saying, God, I pray. Those who know their God shall do great exploits. Those at Yada, Y-A-D-A. And in that scripture, we always quote that those who know their God shall do great and valiantly and so on. If we look at the next couple of verses, it's reminding us that there will be leaders who fail, but there's two roads that they can take. One is if you continue to hold on to flattery, it'll be a road of slipperiness. But if we humble ourselves, it's in that place God will make us back stronger than before. And so that's my prayer for a lot of leaders who do struggle, because I know it's not an easy place to be. It is a lonely place. And even as King David, it was when he wasn't in battle and doing what he was stewarding to do is when he fell into sin with Bathsheba. And so I think that for all of us, we have to understand that that quiet place, that restful place, that place in the presence of God, it's not something we should do. It's what we need to do. Because at that place where we get replenished in his presence and get clarity of direction. What would you say to leaders that are saying, you're right, it's a lonely place. Even sometimes those that are closest to us don't understand. How do you work through that lonely place when even those that are closest to you can't really understand that place you're in and that posture with the Lord? 
And secondly, the place of betrayal, you know, the seven things that came against Nehemiah and Mm -hmm. were the ones you expected to be there, the Mm -hmm. ones that you trusted that you're a confidence, like Ahithophel, the confidant of David, and yet you could have handled it if it had been the work of the enemy coming, because we're contending against the enemy. But it was your closest friend. Closest friend. How do you work through some of that? So every fruit has a root. It's important for you to know people's stories. It's important not for gossip's sake or for condemnation's sake, but know people's stories, their, their failures, um, so we don't have to learn the hard way, and their victories, uh, so we don't have to learn the hard way. There's a moment when uh, that fruit buds, the unholy fruit, that sinful moment, and you've got to chase the root to what was that person searching for? What lie did they believe that there was a lack in their life? And why then, here's the advice, then go when you search your root, it's springtime. So we're all going to be out cleaning out our yards and cleaning out the muck from, from winter and, and checking the roots of, of our, our various beloved plants. My azaleas are blooming. My dogwoods are blooming but I needed to go and tend to them. So we need to all tend to the roots of our life. And if you believe, let's use uh, an obvious example, a moral failure. If you believe you're not loved, Satan loves that lie. You know, she's not worthy of your love. She doesn't love you. She doesn't treat you with honor and respect. Um, How, when's the last time she said she loved you? You're not showing your, okay. And so what do you do? You run off and go look for somebody else to love you. You start to notice that somebody that's been a close friend or that you work with, boy, they really honor you. Boy, they, they just bend over backwards for you. It's a trap. It is Satan's trap. And so we need to have honest conversations with the people in our life and trace that root, that lie, and be able to say, Satan's lying to me, but I need to be able to share this with you. Not for argument's sake, but please, I need your help with this because I don't want to fail. I don't want to give the enemy a foothold, not even a toe in the door of our life and our relationship. So can I please tell you the lie that I'm hearing so we can work on it together. And so that's, that is very important. And whatever it is, Satan's lying to me that I'm lacking. And so that's why I started embezzling that money or whatever. Trace the root, catch it early. Don't let it get grafted into to who you are and what you do. Your character is what you live out, just uh, like we know. That's why we praise God, because as we hear his character, as we're praising him and we're reminding ourselves of how big and wonderful our God is, we also remember that he only acts out of his character. Well, so do we. And so make sure you weed that garden and you tend to the roots in that. And then you have to remember that the only person that you control is yourself. And so when that, my closest friend, my most trusted coworker, my someone that was like a brother or sister to me, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe you would do this to me. Well, why not? They're human. And so what am I called to? I'm called to pray for them. I'm called to forgive as my father's forgiven me. Uh, There's some powerful words in the Bible, all of them. But when this happened to me, I had to go looking for the, as God has, as the father has, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. 
And then I just started journaling. Well, how has Jesus loved me? Golly, I can't even think of the ginormous book of the number of sins that God's forgiven me. How has God shown mercy to me? Those are all scripture verses. Once again, you have to lay down your life and not let a root of bitterness or a root of revenge take root in you, but you start remembering what God's done for you and how he's behaved towards you and how he loves you. And that has to be the character that you walk out in this absolutely dreadful and painful situation. Just hand your hurt to him Mm. and walk out love. We know sometimes as Christians, the principles of God's kingdom, it's another thing to walk that out at times. That's a work of grace, isn't it? I'm reminded of a book by David Wilkerson called, Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? Of the whole book, I remembered only one major premise to it, and that is it's always the wrong person on the cross. When you put yourself on the cross that Jesus has already gone to, and we allow the wounds or the hurts of others to keep us there, most of the time, the people that have hurt us, they've gone on with their lives. We're the ones carrying it, and we're held fulfilling all that God has for us. Exactly. But if yeah. we release it to the Lord, then God has a way of vindicating and taking care of us. I even many times, and I mean, really some difficult times, have had to say that I'm always going to leave the door open because we have to move to new levels of relationship and leadership. Yeah. But we never sever the relationships. We just have to move to new levels of relationship if as we grow in the purposes of God in our lives. Can you maybe share a little bit, speak into that as well? We want to make sure that we don't sin in the process. We have to be very careful about who regains access into our life. But, you know, there's the funny saying that um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You know, you're just allowing, again, the only person you can control is yourself. So you're just allowing that person and that event to hurt you every day. Nothing gets to steal your joy. We give our joy away. And so we want to make sure that we don't give our witness away. A fool argues with a fool is what Proverbs said. And so you have to first decide you're going to take the higher ground. His ways and his thoughts are higher. You know, faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. That's a ladder. And so step up in that. Uh, ask God to lift you up to that, but then don't leave the person that hurt you behind. And Mm. so you have to start praying them Mm. up. Yes, absolutely. You can go tattle to your heavenly father. He knows the hurt you're feeling. It is a lot easier when you've got the armor on your skin's thick. Some of those fiery arrows just bounce off that full armor. We all are still flesh. We all still have a heart. We all still have feelings. Uh, Try to plug your heart into the fruitfulness, not the feelings of the situation. And so how through only through the Holy Spirit can you project love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things that are fruit, not feelings. Feelings come from the flesh. You really just have to take them to prayer. And every time you go to hurt, you just hand it over to God and say, Lord, keep me up here with you. Keep me up here with you. I don't want to be a fool and I don't want to sin in my hurt. A lot of people like to talk about prayer as an event, but you do really believe it's not about an event. It's not what we just do in public discourse. It really is the quiet place individually in preparation as we gather in corporate agreement because Agreement's a place of power. How do we, who have 
been in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. And when we've been in that presence, there's so many things that happen in us. And we come out of that prayer place recognizing how imbalanced everything is. And yet then we're driven to try to want to make change and do something. How do we find that place of the scales of balance with God where we recognize where things are? And yet at the same time, how do we walk that out in a public arena in a world that really is very obnoxious to the things of God right now? I think it would be less obnoxious if we were more loving. If I really, for years and years, we would ask the question, hey, if the doors of your church closed today, how would your community be any different? And then God closed the doors of our churches for a really long time. And so instead of expecting sinners and people who have never read or heard the word of God or experienced an authentic touch of the love of Jesus Christ from another Christ follower, instead of expecting them to act biblically, we've got to step up and act biblically. God has given us the mission. He's given us the grace and granted us the opportunity to see how things should be. We know our marching orders as his warriors. That's not for us to run around and judge the rest of the world. It's for us to run out there and change it one moment at a time. Every moment matters. Just smiling at a person changes their biological chemistry in that moment. How do we love well and love the world to the one who came to the world who is love? If the Son of Man didn't come here to judge the world, but to seek and save the lost, then that's pretty much our assignment as well. The scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.14 that my daughter and I talked about quite a bit, when you get around situations and people that could become obnoxious or rude, we don't know the windows of their soul. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what we don't know. Right. And so in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says that God always leads us to victory or triumph so that we can become dispensers or manifestors of the fragrance of heaven. So Mm. we began to process that, that we live in a stinky world. But when you consider the dispensers, you probably have been to restaurants and you go to the restroom and up on the walls, a little dispenser that every few minutes goes and it sprays out fragrance (laughs) in, in places that could potentially become stinky. And I said, you know, in these moments, remembering who we are, where we've come from, and that we came from those very same places, we've all had our bad days. And, and so let's become yes. a fragrance in this moment. Of course, there's evil in the world, and we have an opportunity to become the dispensers of the fragrance of heaven. And heaven forbid we become the stink. Yeah, yeah. which we are probably oftentimes, but thank God for the grace of God that Amen. That Amen. Here, right? And so how do we come in? How do we... You know, if we claim to be salt and light, what does that look like? How do we come in and brighten up the place? How do we come in and act as that, you know, taste and and preservative? And so really taking our mission seriously, uh, really keeping that in the forefront of our mind and the filling of our heart, because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And National Day of Prayer this year, our theme is exalt the Lord who has established us. Because I sat and listened and we were using this to grumble and complain and judge and divide and be angry and all this, these horrible things. And I just stop and praise, just stop and praise. Whatever's in here is going to come out here. And so we have to stop and examine that and go, ooh, what did I just send out into the world? (laughs) (laughs) As we come into the National Day of Prayer, 
Uh, what are some ways that people can get involved locally or nationally on a regular basis, but also in preparation for the National Day of Prayer and beyond every day? Uh, what are some resources and ways of getting involved? The best way is just go to our website, of course, nationaldayofprayer.org. We have an event finder there, and so you can go a little closer to time to NDP. Go and start finding where uh, a prayer gathering will take place in your community. We are always looking for new coordinators that want to journey with us throughout the year to be trained, uh, to pray, to love, to build a team. And so we would welcome that. Uh, I send out prayer prompts and uh, we send out an article every single Thursday night. You're welcome to subscribe to that where so many people just call us and text us and email us and go, teach us to pray. I want to pray for my nation and I have no idea what to say. We send out an article on Thursday for that. Our social media, I do a video every Friday, about three minutes or so, just encouraging and devotional and scripture. And then, uh, hey, let's pray together. That's my favorite thing to do is for us just to pray together. And so lots of ways you can be involved every day. And just remembering that the National Day of Prayer is the celebration and culmination of 364 other days of prayer. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And yet you touched on in the importance of National Day of Prayer and praying is that communication with God. It's not a monologue, but it should be a dialogue where you also stop to listen and then to be able to walk out with God speaking. I think about the five sins in 1 Corinthians 10, a reminder of the five sins of the wilderness that kept Israel out of the promised land for 40 years. We like to look at the obvious lust and idolatry, sexual morality, but we tend to overlook one called murmuring. When we grumble and murmur, that is the evil thing that comes from our mouths that right. actually inhibits us from walking in victory and entering the promises of God. And so I'm glad you touched on that because yeah. a lot of times, you know, and, I, and I've been re reading on and processing more about this, especially with the advent of emails and taking pictures from our phones. It can be in a second sent over the world you know, a picture. You're thinking, well, you don't see pictures flying through the sky, but somehow that image is getting somewhere because there was an unseen realm where messages are going forth, text messages, pictures. There are things going on that are, that are as real as we see each other, but we don't see them in the human capacity. Right. But yet outside right now, everywhere around us, even what we're doing right now, we're seeing each other, but we don't see the images going through the sky. The same is true of our words that every right. audible sound never falls to the ground. Mm -hmm. It literally continues to stay out there. So with everything we've ever said, there's a, have you ever been, uh, and I'm using this kind of, I'm thinking out loud, where you knew that there was murmuring going on, maybe some thing, critical things being said, and you felt it. And yet it may not have been said to your face, but you feel it because there's something about the power of words, even yep. if you're not speaking it to that person. Absolutely. And here's a powerful thought. If we're supposed to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, whose courts do we enter with murmuring? I mean, mm. murmuring and complaining is the praise music of hell. Mm. And so I know that the spirit in us will give us that discernment when there's murmuring going on. And so what do we do? We go tell our daddy, we go tell our heavenly father, and we just say, you know, Lord, I just pray that you would squash gossip. And Lord, I just pray that if anything is being said of me, that is true, that there is a root in me that displeases you. If there is sin happening in my life, 
and this gossip, this murmuring that is going on is true. Holy Spirit, search me and please remove it from me. But otherwise, Lord, you are my defender. Uh, the scripture talks about how he is the warrior and he goes out and we get to run behind his shield. He is our shield. He is our refuge. He is our deliverer. What can man do to me is, is really the thought. And you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. Everything else is a distraction. It's to pull you one way off to the left or to the right, but stay the course. There have been times in my early years and throughout the years that some of my adversaries who just, you know, did not understand. Sometimes we're afraid of what we don't understand. And so some of my adversaries, it was very painful, some of the things that were said or done without even really knowing me. But as God uh, really dealt with me, what you just said, God, if there be any truth in what's being said, then would you purge that from me? But I ask for the grace for that person, because I don't want to hold them to where they've been. I want to give them the grace to be who they are today or tomorrow. And I know in my own life, probably by the sin of omission or, you know, maybe not always in commission, but in omission where maybe I've offended people and I I don't want to be held to that. Lord, help me to to walk this out, giving grace so I can have grace. But some of those same uh, strong adversaries became my advocates Mm -hmm. by using that principle or principle to pray, God, would you release that out of my spirit? And I just pray for them that you would give them the grace that I know that that I need in my own life. Yeah. And never be willing to uh, disclose something that you shouldn't disclose just to defend yourself. Let God be your defender. You know, uh, love covers a multitude of sin. Far be it (laughs) that you ever hear me disparage somebody else for the sake of my own pride or reputation. God will take care of that. And there will be many times that you get hurt. And really what I've had to say to myself, especially in the last couple of years, is there's lots of times you have to give up being right to be righteous. And that's a life worth living. We're all called to lead at some capacity to encourage people, especially in a world that seems to be on fire, a world that is, uh, that's really imbalanced right now. How would you encourage leaders to stay the course, persevere, be courageous, and that, that we will see victory? It may not see it right now in front of us, the things we're going through, but there is victory in Christ. First of all, I remember every single day, anytime I start to get pulled into some sort of pity party or pit, I just remember every single day, there are over a billion people on this planet that would trade places with you on any given day, even in the worst moment of your life. And so remember that you get to be where you are by the grace of God and his hand and know, know that you are his workmanship, that you are an image bearer, that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made and that uh, the work God began in you, he will see it to completion. You're never alone. You're his beautiful workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Those are the key words in Christ Jesus for the good works he's already prepared. So what we get to do every day in prayer is find out what he's already prepared. He's already there. He sees the end from the beginning and we just get to walk it out with excellence and diligence and all those things we read about in second Peter one, but it's very important to remember that it's up to him that we get to be a part of this. And so don't grow weary in doing good. Uh, Stay the course, keep going, and just remember uh, how deeply loved 
you are. We live for his audience. And yes, there are days maybe we don't feel as loved as we'd love to feel. We don't feel as appreciated. Remember that sometimes God lets you feel those things so you can look around. Right now, we live in a hopeless, hurting world. And what this world needs is every single day, you've got the opportunity to do this with the people you live with and the people you encounter. They're the, what I call the A's. Everybody who's known me for a long time knows my love language is alliteration. And so we need to acknowledge people as human beings. Sometimes just making eye contact. There are thousands of kids who go to school every single day and just hope one person would say hello to them. Mm. It's that way in the workplace. It's everywhere we go. Just say hello to the people around you. Acknowledge them as human beings and that they exist. Secondly, affirm them in something that, in who they are. We praise God for who he is, not what he does. And your children need affirming, your spouse needs affirming, your coworkers need affirming. Affirm, affirm, affirm. Appreciate. People do and do and do and do. Say thank you. Appreciate. And finally, affection. We were called to love. And so you have the ability to change the course, the trajectory of somebody's life by just administering those things every single day in people's lives. And as you do, you can never outgive God. As you're giving out, he's filling up. And that is a way to live a great life. Would you pray for those that are on live today, but those who'll be watching or listening via podcast or via the videos as the Lord leads? I'm not asking you how to pray, but just would you pray for God to just do a work in all of us that we can see another great awakening. We could see the awakening yes. of the church that impacts the soul of our nation. So Lord Jesus, we first do uh, continue in to your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise as you are uh, the Alpha and Omega. You are our shepherd. You are the one true God, the creator, sustainer, deliverer, our defender, you are our rest and our refuge. And Lord, we take all that you are as we have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So walk in him. We walk in you. We worship you in our work, in our days, in all that we do. You are worthy. And so, Lord, I pray right now for a filling of your spirit. Lord, you know uh, what they need. And your word says that you will provide all their needs. And so where there is a need for rest, I pray for rest and refreshment, Lord, a peace that comes over them that is beyond any kind of understanding or any need to understand. Lord, where there's brokenness, where there's hurt, I pray that you would bring healing, that you are the repairer. And Lord, that you as a great physician provide healings, healings of hearts and bodies and minds. Lord, where there is fear that you will bring faith. Father, I just ask where there are decisions to be made that no man or woman would lean on their own understandings, but they would just be quiet and still and listen to you. They would stop striving, be still and know that you are God, the author of their days, the author and perfecter of their faith, the completer of your purpose for them. And we thank you that we get to lock shields and run into the battle every single day for the soul of this nation and to love our neighbors. Thank you for that beautiful assignment to your glory. And in your name, we always pray. Amen. Amen. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, where the Apostle Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
And there's something about that place of intimacy in God's presence. We're overtaken by the fragrance of heaven so that when we walk out of that quiet place, that private place in the presence of God, that somehow we would be those dispensers that others would look at us and want to imitate Christ in us. And so I encourage you today, and may you go in peace. As Eli said to Hannah, she received that as a word from the Lord. Go in peace. May the God of Israel, or the, the King of kings and Lord of lords in our lives, uh, may he give you the peace and to go forth and knowing that the desires of your heart will be accomplished and the vision, the dreams that God has placed in you will be accomplished because God is a God that keeps a promise. Sometimes we go through a process to get there, but know this, that there is a destination far greater than what we're going through. So I encourage you today, keep your eyes looked up, come up higher, look up and know that your redemption draws near. We have a, we're living in a great time of opportunity for the gospel to go forth so we can be the light and shine the light of Christ in a world that desperately needs it right now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.